Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. I think the key here is being deliberate. We have to make ourselves learn how to listen. We have to make ourselves approach conversation to hear the other person. It doesn't happen if we just let it go. You're listening to Absurdity with Ryan Becker, the podcast where we embrace the absurdity of everything. From here, we can move conversations forward by learning how to communicate effectively, listen intently, and love patiently. Welcome to Absurdity. Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity. This week's episode, we are going to be talking about stories, the importance of uh, letting people have their stories, share their stories, and uh, accepting those stories for what they are. So this week, we have Caleb Isley on the podcast. He is down in Orangeburg, South Carolina, just a couple hours south of myself. I connected with him just uh, a couple years ago, actually, uh, because I was writing for The Haystack, and he connected with me as a result of one of the articles I wrote, and we've been friends since. But he started something called Humans of Adventism, which is, if you've heard of Humans of New York, it's basically the same thing, but for Adventists, which is really cool. So I'm going to let him share his story, and I'm going to let him uh, share about how Humans of Adventism got started and kind of his perspective on stories. And I really I really appreciate his perspective because he doesn't come into this as a... Um, as a traditional ministry leader, and what I mean is he hasn't been burned by the system yet. Uh, he hasn't uh, he hasn't gone through those fires, which is good because it, it brings a fresh perspective and one um, not of naivety. I don't want to say it's naivety because it, it's not, um, but instead it's one that is um, kind of less tainted, <laughs> less tainted by red tape. So really excited for what Caleb is doing with Humans of Adventism. Actually, um, I have a shirt from a fundraising campaign they did a while back, and when I was in Florida for Christmas, uh, I ended up at the mall. A woman approached me with her son, and she asked me about my shirt, said, are you Adventist? And I said, yeah. She said, well, me and my son just moved here. We're looking for a church. And because I grew up in Orlando, and I know every church in that area pretty well, uh, I was easily able to help her 
and her son find a church and give them some suggestions. So it was really cool. Um, that shirt is, a, you know, Humans of Adventism is something that's really bringing people together, and it is um, an awesome ministry. If you want, go to AdventistHumans.com. We'll include a link in the, si- in the uh, episode notes, and you can check that out. Um, next week, we're going to be having Austin Holloway on the show to talk about guns, gun control, gun reform, all that good stuff. Um, so really excited about that as well. But today, we're talking about stories. And I'm really excited about this because I believe that listening to each other's stories and accepting each other's stories is one of the best ways that we can grow in our relationships. So without further ado, here is Caleb Isley. Hey, Ryan, thanks for having me. Uh, My name's Caleb Isley. I run a Facebook and Instagram page called Humans of Adventism. Uh, It was sort of born out of the little Seventh-day Adventist church uh, that I go to and help out a lot with in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Um, Awesome. And so you you started Humans of Adventism. There's there's really no one else kind of behind it. There's not like this giant team of people right now that I know of anyways. Um, can you tell me a little bit about why and, and how Humans of Adventism came about? Yeah, so um, sort of some backstory. My family and I and my wife ended up all converging in the same town after not living close together. And uh, we're all Seventh-day Adventists and started attending a sort of senior-dominated church with a shared pastor. And so we just sort of flooded this church. And um, I was a big fan of Humans of New York. And so I had this idea that I wanted to do with our our older members uh, of sort of profiles that we could do uh, when we were first starting our social media for the church and hit all kinds of road bumps. People didn't want to be on there. Um, just a lot of different things happening. And this was probably a year before Humans of Adventism. Um, But that idea is what eventually turned into uh, Humans of Adventism. And the other part of this is, um, you know, I spend 99% of my life surrounded by people who aren't Seventh-day Adventists. And I am openly and, and proudly Adventist. And I'm a little concerned about uh, our ability to talk with other people and just, mm. um, I guess this sort of isolationist, uh, mentality that I find in church and the culture of church, it's not in our doctrine, but it's definitely in the spirit of it. Uh, so those are a couple of, I guess, the driving forces behind humans of Adventism. Gotcha. Um, so how did this how did it transfer from, uh, did you, how did it transfer, I guess, from, um, from the church to then where it is online now? Did you just start randomly messaging people and asking for their stories and a picture? Or, <laughs> the first thing that know, I how, did, how you... uh, just about a year before the first post released, I emailed an idea to, uh, several members of the Haystack, which is the, uh, the website that we both write for. Uh, millennial Adventist yes. blog, um, and also to several influential pastors that I knew. And I, I said, I have this idea for a Humans of New York Adventist 
thing. And I said, I don't want to call it humans of Adventism because I don't feel like I can <laughs> accurately represent an entire denomination, you know? Um, I just never came up with a better name and ended up actually growing to like it. But um, That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I had several people say, you know, this is awesome. Do this. We want to help out and everything. And, you know, when it came to, hey, I, I need some help, people were like, well... I don't really know what to do, so you're kind of on your own. So I Sounds had right. I had a couple of people really stick by um, there. To this day, there are people that I I run every post just to get a, a second, third opinion from. I have people who help me edit it, help me choose uh, photos. But it started with I just reached out to the people I knew. I said, "Hey, I have this idea for a project, and I'd really like to build up some stories." would you mind if I just talk to you on Facebook messenger and use one of your pictures? Like, absolutely. So it, it started with people I knew and very quickly, um, you know, I just started reaching out to more and more people that I didn't know and developed a rhythm for it. And that's where we're at today. Awesome. That's really cool. I love that. You know, I think some of the best things are started by just someone deciding, hey, I want yep. to do this, and then they just do it. Um, everyone thinks that there's this big infrastructure you need to set up, or, um, but really, if you haven't shown that you're committed to something, there's no point in setting up all the infrastructure. Sure. So I think, I think that's really cool. I, I love that, that, that journey that you took. Um, and I can understand why some of, you know, knowing the demographic of your church um, when you came, uh, similar to the kind of demographic that, that I'm dealing with, I can understand why some of them were hesitant to get on board. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, that generation tends to be a little bit more, um, worried about what goes up online and, and what happens. And, and I can understand why to, to be honest, a lot of that caution is pretty warranted at this point. Um, well, but, here's the other thing too, is that I, I run the social media. Ex- I mean, I think I'm the only person who really works on it at all. I, I, do all of our Facebook page and everything for our church. And what I really didn't want this to become is, I guess, my project taking over the church social media. You know, I, I I didn't, I already have people who think that I do so much more at my church than I do when there are lots of people who dedicate way more time and just aren't public about it. And I'm a very public person, so easily people just start to fall into this crediting me for for more than I do. Um, and I don't I don't want that. Yeah, that's fair. I can I can understand that. Um, and I appreciate that caution that you took um, with that as well. So that's really really cool. Um, okay, so well, you've talked about sharing stories. You've talked about humans of Adventism mm-hmm. and and what it is. Um, if you know it, it and to any listeners who still don't understand if you've if you've looked at or heard of humans of new york it's literally the same thing but with seventh day adventists um pretty much the exact same thing um so let me ask you this why do you think that stories or people's stories are so interesting or important in a we can talk about this in a broad sense or we can talk about specifically within what we're doing here and I'd like to start with what we're doing here. There are two main audiences that Humans of New York has. There's the one that everybody assumes that Seventh-day Adventists are reading about Seventh-day Adventists. And in in that area, 
I think what's so important is that we realize the diversity within Seventh-day Adventism. I think when you grow up in one local church or a few that have similar mindsets, you don't realize just how differently people are living the Adventist message. I mean, you have, I I went to an incredibly conservative uh, Adventist church for the majority of my growing up years. So I thought Seventh-day Adventists do not do this. Seventh-day Adventists do this. This is how church operates. And everyone else is, you know, doesn't have the right idea. Or this is how most Adventist churches operate. And as I was exposed to more uh, different settings, I realized there are a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of trains of thought within Adventism. So exposing us to each other is the first kind of big area uh, that I think is so important. And the second is uh, we have a a decent-sized audience of people who don't know anything about Seventh-day Adventists. I have uh, some dedicated uh, friends of different faiths that have really supported this, um, and they are learning about us through our stories. And so for me, this is modern evangelism. This is the absolute basic building block that I feel like we're missing, the, the just human connection, our, our struggles our hopes, our dreams, our fears. This is step one of starting those friendships and those conversations. And I think we're really missing the basics. You know, I think we have some amazing, beautiful truths in our doctrines, but I think we're missing bottom line, step one relationships. And so those two areas are, are really what's on my mind constantly. And what's, I guess, um, why stories matter so much to me. I I think stories are the way that we can interact and try to learn about each other's mentalities outside of the arguments. I think that's fair. Um, You know, I I look at, as a pastor, I look at, you know, modern church service even um, within a traditional Seventh-day Adventist church, or I I don't even want to say traditional because I don't want to like talk about conservative or liberal traditional. I mean, um, I just mean a standard or an average Adventist church as you walk into any church and you're most likely to see this, um, which is uh, very spectator oriented. Um, there's not a lot of talking and sharing going on, which is sad because for someone like me, my church is because of demographics and um, the fact that it's a commuter church, which means people drive in from far away. Um, there isn't a lot of community that happens throughout the week. And so they show up to a building and they meet together for two, three hours and they barely share anything about their set themselves. They'll go, they'll sit in Bible study or Sabbath school and they'll talk about the Bible, which is great. Do not get me wrong. Like I'm not trying to knock that. That's kind of the point. Um, but they'll talk about the Bible. They'll talk about whatever the lesson is. And then they'll sit for an hour and listen to a, a sermon for half an hour and sing. And then they'll go home. And there's not a lot of opportunity to actually talk with each other and grow close together yeah. with one another. Um, and, and that's just, unfortunately, that's, that's a true reality that, that we're facing. Um, so I think you're right. I, I agree that there is a great need um, for relationship building. And I think our stories offer a bridge to do that. Um, I think once you've, once you've realized, once you've learned someone's story, you might find a connection point you didn't even realize you had with them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think, so I, I value stories in the same way that you do, at least in that respect, um, just as a pastor, because I see the need for it. I, I really do see the need for sharing stories. Now, you talked about it from the humans of Adventism perspective, but what about the broader sense? Sure. Um, but yeah, what do you think about them in the broader sense? I think, I think one thing that led to this was watching, I'm, I'm sort of always my own experiment. And I'm always watching how I'm changing and how I'm affected by the things I'm exposed to. And uh, before we went on here, you know, I I was listening to um, your introduction and I was noticing how many similarities there were between your and my stories. You know, we start out with a we're taught a version of history, a version of the world and religion by our parents and our society. And for me, the only things that challenged those preconceptions were the stories of other people. And so when it comes to racial justice, when it comes to sexual orientation, anything that is not directly my experience, I've only learned through hearing other people's experiences and other people's stories. And sometimes, most of the time, I've learned the hard way. You know, it had to be happening to someone that I loved. I had to see them suffering and it had to be somehow tied with me to learn. And, and I, I hate that, but I've seen the effects of it. You know, I've, I've seen how, you know, you hear opinions all the time, opinions, opinions, sometimes, you know, based on some sort of fact and sometimes not. And there's something very different about, okay, this really did happen to me in my life. That's different than just hearing people's opinions and seeing how it, you know, cause pain or, um, you know, with good stories, how it uh, emboldened and inspired somebody. Um, just, just watching how they affected me, I guess, got me interested in the first place. And I think, um, I, I really think that this is a powerful tool and a, a secret that, that we're just, I don't know, starting to unlock, maybe, maybe we're finding it again. You know, you go back to, to Jesus and he, when people didn't understand things, he told them stories that were relevant to their experience. He used, uh, I guess, characters and, and, and situations that they would be able to identify with. And I think our job now is to continue that. You know, we're looking at the Bible and we're reading things that happened thousands of years ago and we're trying to find ourselves in it. You know, we're, we're trying to find, like, how does this story about these groups of people that I don't see today relate to these other groups of people that I do see today or these other mentalities? You know, I, I, I just think that there's something, something life-changing and something powerful about it, about being able to listen and share and connect over stories. All right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I just wonder, um, you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't talk to you about this question beforehand, sure. so have fun with this. Um, I just wonder, how do you wrestle then with, 
um, how do you wrestle with uh, two conflicting stories? Mm-hmm. Then? How do you wrestle with, with, and I don't mean conflicting as in, oh, they, they disagree here or there, or they end up with a slightly different conclusion. I mean, like stories that are polar opposite of each other. I mean, there are stories, um, there are stories of like LGBTQ individuals um, who will say, I've been praying for years and this hasn't gone away. This hasn't disappeared. Sure. Um, and then you've got others who would consider themselves former LGBTQ plus individuals who will say, I prayed and God took it away and now I'm happily married and straight. Now that is, and, and to listeners before you'd like jump on me for that, um, that is the rarer form of that story. Um, that is incredibly rare. I, I've maybe only seen it once or twice, maybe three times really um, in recent memory. So it's not like this is something that, that is happening all over the world every second. But, but do you see how those, those two stories would end up with completely polar opposite conclusions? Um, how, do you, how do you wrestle with things like that? I think there's a couple, a couple points I would like to make. The first is when you listen to a story, what are you listening for? Are you listening for some kind of blanket truth? You know, are, are, are you trying to say that this result that worked very well for this person must work for someone else in the same situation? Because that's not true. You know, we have these labels that we put on people that do tend to, you know, offer some kind of information about their experience. But there are so many, I mean, everybody is composed of an unlimited amount of, of quirks and, and different details, right? So they're not going to work exactly the same for everybody. And the other thing is, I guess we need the ability to look behind the story itself. You know, what, what is each person struggling with? You know, they could be talking about how hard practice is in their sports team or, you know, something that doesn't seem to be related to them personally as far as like their values and things. But behind it, there's some kind of motivation. There's some kind of truth there that you should look for besides just the very flat, you know, details of, of I don't know, the, the specific facts, I guess, that they're giving. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Okay. That's fair. And I, and I do think that that motive plays a huge role into mm-hmm. that. Um, I think if you're listening to prove your point already, there's a problem. I, I remember when Garrison was on the show, mm-hmm. um, he, when I asked him, can you share an experience where, of, of where, how racism has affected you or your family right. or a loved one? And he told me, he's like, you know, normally when people ask me that question, they're asking it so that they can disprove whatever right. they're going to say. And um, so you're right. I, th- I think the motive and what you're listening for um, is important. If you're listening to prove your own point, there's a problem. If you're listening to get to know the person who's sharing their story, um, then you've got a much different perspective, a much different goal in mind, um, which in my opinion, I think is the right mindset to be at. But okay, so let me let me throw another curveball your way. Um, do you think, and this isn't, you know, this is, this is going to be an interesting question. I'm interested to see I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation with in my life, but do you think that stories drive truth or that truth drives stories? Ooh. Yeah. See, yeah, I was thinking about that and I was like, I don't, you know, that's hard. And I, and it might be a both yeah, and I, um, it might be a sometimes one, sometimes the other. Uh, I what do you think, think that they are a cycle. I think that we speak about our experiences and we, our experience changes as we're exposed to new information. 
and new stories. So it's just this constant, um, you know, both feed the other. You know, we are our reality in our head is shaped by the information that we're given. But when we put that information back out, we help other people form theirs. So I don't I don't know that you could. It's like, you know, what was formed first, the chicken or the egg? It doesn't matter. They both are there and they both exist and they are part of a perpetual cycle, always causing and always, you know, the effect of something else. Yeah, and I do think that uh, in the church, I think that a lot of where we are at today in doctrines and in beliefs um, have largely been driven by learning people's stories, and 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 as the narrative mm-hmm. is unfolded, um, we've discovered new information by listening. So I think um, I would agree with you. I, I do think that um, that it would be a cycle. Um, but I am curious to know. I mean, I I think there are sometimes where objective truth, um, someone's story could just right. be wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, it could be, and I don't mean wrong as in look, you experienced it. That's fine. But your conclusions that you drew from that story or the way or your perspective may have been limited. I think um, there are moments where that kind of happens. Um, so, I, you know, I, it's, it's a gray area. I don't want to just tell someone flat out your right. story's wrong. Um, but, but at the same time, you, you look at people who've, who've committed these terrible acts of murder in the last couple decades um, based on what God has told them to do. And their story is, God told me to do this. Well, you might be mistaken. This is what I mean, you know what I mean? In looking behind the story, right? It may be true that they believe that God wanted them to murder somebody, right? And that, that has very little effect on whether God actually wanted that, right? Like it, the, the, I guess there's part of this where you're talking about what is truly their experience. And then there's the, the overall, I guess, capital T truth. like if God is a God of love, why would he ask you to murder someone? Right. It's still their story and it's still true to their experience probably, but that doesn't mean it's helpful and that doesn't mean it's good or that they are saying, um, I guess that their beliefs are accurate, but it still is their experience for better or worse. You know, maybe, I don't know. You know, I have no idea what what causes people to believe that kind of thing. But you have to ask, what was it then? Yeah. Well, and and that for me, I think it signals um, a need to not just um, listen to someone's story, but to actually sit down and process it. Um, and, and that includes your own story. That includes as your story is unfolding, how often are you sitting down to actually, and this is general mm-hmm. you, not like you specifically, um, but also you specifically. They, you know, how do you, do you sit down and how often do you actually process what you're dealing with and say, is the story um, that I'm believing here, is the story that's unfolding here really happening how I see mm-hmm. it playing out? Um, there, Brene Brown is an amazing person when it comes to stories and she talks about um, stories that we make up, um, the stories for why people do things to us and the stories and, and, or the way that we, we think something has happened when in reality, nothing happened or we misread someone's mm-hmm. intentions completely because of a story that we made up. Uh, there are times I, I, you know, I recently had a friend come up to me and, and he was wondering why I was mad at him. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, I, I, I'm not, 
I, I'm not mad at you. He's like, well, for the last several years, like it's been super awkward. And um, ever since this one moment, like I've been unsure. And then you gave me the cold shoulder at some event. And I was like, wait, no, 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 no. That's not how this happened at all. Um, and I understood right. exactly how we got there. But he, he had written a story in his own mind about our friendship that, that hadn't mm-hmm. actually taken place. And um, at least the way he, he, he had viewed it. And so we cleared it. It was a misunderstanding that was cleared up that day with no hard feelings, not, you know, nothing wrong now. But, but I do think we need to sit down and constantly evaluate our stories um, and say, is the story that's being written right now being written the way that I perceive it? Um, or is it being written the way that it needs to be written? And um, yeah, I, 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 I'm grateful for that tangent. I think there was a lot yeah. of good stuff in there. <laughs> um, let me let me ask you this: what um, what greater impact outside of you know just talking with each other? Um, what great or or you know just just the Facebook page of Humans of Adventism or um, within our churches? What greater impact do you think that sharing our stories can have on society in general? Creating a culture of story sharing. What do you think would sure would I think the world. You know, when you talk about inequality or division or hatred of any kind, I think a lot of it doesn't come from people who think that they're hateful or think that they are harsh or misusing the Bible, right? I think a lot of time people, a lot of times people are convinced of something and it's easy to stay convinced when you're not hearing anyone else, right? When you can just stay and feel safe and happy with your own opinion. And it makes it really hard to hold your opinion when you see it directly harming somebody. And you only see that by listening to them and, and hearing how that happens. And so I think when it comes to politics, religion, anything, even talking across generations, um, one thing that, that I really want to fight here is our echo chambers, our, our ability to stay isolated, you know, and, and only feed ourselves information that we already believe. And so big picture, you know, what I, what I, what I'm aiming for is a lot of people, whether they choose to convert to Adventism or not acting more like Jesus because Jesus, in my opinion, was the best listener. He was able to interact with no matter who it was. Social boundaries didn't matter to him. You know, he, he was able to walk through whatever societal walls there were with confidence and serve whoever needed him. And he, he it, it, it took away, I think, a lot of fear. It took, it made him a lot wiser. You know, I, I know that he, because he was divine, you know, we view him as having these superpowers and things, but I also think that he cultivated attitudes that he had, you know, I think that he was a growing human being and he did it without sin, but he, he purposely, um, I guess created attitudes that would help him live that way. Well, and I think I think you know I think of the mm-hmm. woman at the well when he when he walked up to her and, and said you know you know just have one wife or one husband right. you have five um, you know I think sometimes the knowledge that he has going into conversations might be supernaturally yes. gifted to him 
Um, but I think the skill that he displays in weaving that, that information into um, the conversation, um, the reading of someone's body language to know it, what it's okay to say yeah. and when it's okay to say it. Um, things like that are skills that, that I think Jesus employed that are human skills. There are things that we can learn to do. There are things that, that we, we, we are studying and learning how to do now. Um, you know, we all react to body language. And, I, you know, I recently learned, um, and this is kind of a fun fact, I recently learned that if you're talking to someone and their feet aren't mm-hmm. pointed at you, if their feet are, you know, if their body is like 45 degree away from you and, they're, you know, you catch them as they're walking out the door or something, um, if their feet aren't pointed at you, it pretty much means that they're looking for the quickest way out of the conversation. Um, and, and you'll notice it's the most way if you catch someone as they're walking out the door, they'll turn around, um, but they won't sure. fully turn and face you. But if you catch, you know, if you, if you catch your, uh, if you catch your girlfriend or, or your, or in your case, your wife um, by mm-hmm. surprise, they will turn around and fully face you hundred <laughs> percent. And, and cause they, they want to talk to you, but yeah, this is like an actual psychological thing. Now, granted, you know, if you're talking with someone just standing next to each other and you're kind of facing, um, you're both facing away from each other. That's a little bit different. You know how like you can stand beside mm-hmm. someone else and talk to them. Um, that's, that's different. Um, but most of the time, yeah, if their feet are pointed away from you, that's your cue to let them go soon. Interesting. <laughs> um, because, and I've noticed it, I noticed it in myself. Now maybe it was self-fulfilling, but, Oh, I accidentally muted my mic there, but I, I, you know, I realized it in myself shortly um, after I learned it. And so I, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting how much body language plays in a, in the role. And I think Jesus employed a lot of that knowledge when Absolutely. he was talking with people. So, um, so, okay. So we're talking about stories. We're talking about sharing stories and the importance of, of, of listening to the stories. But let me ask you this. How do you think that we can listen to stories better? As someone who's taking in stories, right? You're constantly mm-hmm. taking in stories. How do you respond when someone tells you a story, their story, especially if it's a I'm, I mean, I'm hungry to hear other people's experiences. And I, I don't know if that's a personality trait or something I've developed. But I am constantly analyzing and trying to figure out how I can be the most helpful and supportive, you know, even if even if this person is saying something that I totally don't agree with, what I want is to create a self uh, uh, safe atmosphere to talk in, and that doesn't mean that I jump on board with their opinion all the time, but it does mean okay, I'm going to shelf this for a minute so that we can keep talking. I'm not going to go along with this, but let's let's keep the conversation going. And generally, when people see that you are um, trying to hear them out. They, they, they catch on quick if you don't agree, right? But I think in most cases, even if you don't, you can create an atmosphere where the two of you can finish your conversation. And generally, people are more willing to listen to you back or if they want your opinion. You know, a lot of times people will start out with this very strong opinion and talk through it and they get through their passionate part of it. And then they're like, you know, I've never really thought that hard about this. And I'm realizing that I've said all these things now and that I really don't have a lot of backing for this. 
Um, but thanks for listening. Let's talk about it now. What do you think? <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, I've racked up 20 or 30 minutes of opinions here. How do I, <laughs> how do I say this in a way that, you know, you're going to connect with? Um, but mm. listening is, is a skill that I'm still developing. I, I very much thought, especially through my high school years, that conversation was about who could push their idea the hardest. You know, I, I thought if I could push my opinion hard enough, people would listen. And it had the total opposite effect on me. I drove people away. I, I had all these opinions that people just kind of rolled their eyes at. And it's because I wasn't listening to them at all. I wasn't considering where my opinions were coming from. I just thought if I felt very strongly that somehow that would lend credibility to my opinion. And it's, it's not true. Um, so I've kind of taken the opposite approach now. And what I've found is that people... <laughs> It's hard to believe this because there's so much fighting, especially on social media and stuff, but people do like engaging in conversation. They're just afraid. You know, even even if they're this obnoxious, like loud person, a lot of times they're afraid that they'll be seen as unintelligent or they'll um, they'll find out that they've been the bad guy, you know, or, or Something along those lines. There, a lot of times, insecurity comes out as uh, boisterousness. And once once you start yeah. listening to somebody, and you kind of circumvent that part of it, it's a lot easier to reach them, and a lot easier to change their minds. I mean, I in our church, my wife and I used to be sort of the only, I guess. You know, my parents weren't super traditional, but they had a lot of things um, that they struggled with. And one thing that we did was every Sabbath after church, my wife and I, my parents and my grandparents would sit together in the living room and talk about controversial topics. And it was heated. And we absolutely do not see things the same way. But, but. <laughs> No surprise. I kept coming back to the relationship, and so did they. And outside of those conversations, we did things to ensure that the other the other people knew that we cared about them. If my grandparents had, they were working on their roof or something, I, I would go help them, you know, or pick something up from the store or something. My, you know, we we all looked out for each other as these continued conversations happened. So that we had a relationship to fall back on when we disagreed the most strongly. And I've sort of taken those experiences and tried to learn from them uh, when I address other people as well. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a couple principles there that I think are really good. I think the, the one you just basically said, there's a mm -hmm. relationship there. Um, I think building a relationship that isn't based on... Um, that isn't based in arguments, but is that it's based on a, you know, a solid mm -hmm. foundation that way, when someone does, you do disagree with or says something that you do disagree with. Um, there's still a relationship there that the friendship is built on um, that can last or outlast the disagreement. Yeah. Um, 
And I think too, um, you know, no one listens to someone they right. don't know. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, my biggest, my biggest pet peeve is, is when someone um, speaks into my, into an area of my life, I haven't given them right. permission to and strangers. <laughs> I've never given you, I've never given a stranger permission to speak yep. into something um, that I'm, I'm doing unless that thing, you know, directly impacts that stranger right then and there. That's different. Um, but you know, if someone tries to speak into some personal part of my life, I, you know, I didn't give you permission to do that. Yeah. I, I don't know you. I have no reason to yeah. trust you. Um, and outside of that, that's not something I'm comfortable with. And, and so I think building the relationship is really important. Um, you know, for me, um, I see, um, I think we need to, when it comes to listening more, I think we need to disconnect um, in areas of our life that are not, um, that um, are not listening so that we can yeah. listen more. And what I mean by that is, and, and you'll, you actually don't know this, um, because you know, I'm pre-recording these episodes, but in, in an episode I recently recorded, we talked about technology and we talked about, um, um, kind of some of the ways that we've been poor stewards of it and how it's ruined attention span and, um, things like that. But I think, um, and, and I think just that, that the fact that we've created these, these short-term gains, um, based off of, Facebook and, and Instagram or Twitter likes and retweets and whatever else, um, we've lost our ability to sit down and listen for a long time. Um, we're always fidgeting. Even now I pick up a book to read and within half a page, I'll check my phone, even though nothing's happened. Um, and, and so I think, um, I, you know, it's, it's almost impossible for me to sit down and, and just be present uh, because I'm so attached to that, to screen time technology, like a phone, an iPad, a, a laptop, whatever. So I think I think learning to disconnect um, more in uh, in different areas of our lives can help us uh, grow our focus to be able to listen more intently um, and then for longer periods of time. Um, but outside of that, I you know I remember I heard a quote and tell me what you think about this. I, I'm interested in your okay. reaction to this based on uh, you're talking about conversations earlier. There's a quote on the internet. I don't know who it's who it's given who it's ascribed to, but it's been floating around for a, a few years at least. Um, and it was that conversations are just people taking turns to uh, talk about, or people waiting to talk about themselves. Yes. Conversation is so every you know every conversation is just I'm waiting to talk about me. You're waiting to talk about you. I don't care about what you're saying because I just want to talk about me. Um, so what do you what do you think about that? And if you think that that's true, if you if, you know if you agree with that quote, how do we how do we change that mindset? How do we change that? Um, I think I, I would insert the word often. Often conversations are us just waiting to talk about ourselves. Because that's the natural order, right? That's, that's what we're used to. I think the key here is being deliberate. We have to make ourselves learn how to listen. We have to make ourselves approach conversation to hear the other person. It doesn't happen if we just let it go. And so it's only in the spaces and the, the individuals who have made that decision to listen to try to understand and work with the information that they're given, you know, and, and talking to listen, you know, if you want to develop this skill, talk to listen, you know, get into conversations where it's not about proving a point, get into conversations where you're not selling something to somebody or trying to change their mind, get into conversations just to learn about the other person. And then if you have a point later, Bring it up a, a different time. You know, it's it's okay to have conversations just to develop a relationship and just to learn and try to 
get a grasp on other people. And if they ask your opinion, great. And if they don't, it's not a failure. You know, you didn't fail by not pushing something. You don't have to do that all the time. Sometimes I forget. Oh, man. Oh, man, this is going to bother me. There was there was a man. <laughs> there's a, a black man who is famous for uh, reporting on members of white supremacist groups. And one thing that that really stuck with me, um, you know, everybody has all these questions, obviously, right? Like, um, you know, why did you do this? What what were your methods? That kind of thing. And is this Daryl? Yes, Davis? Is that who Daryl. Doing? That's who it was. I love. Okay, I love that he's, man. I love that. He guy said, story. "While you are actively, um, while you are actively listening, you are passively teaching." Or some, something along those lines. When you yeah. when you listen, you are teaching the other person about you. And so I think, I don't know, it, it was so inspirational to me because I saw it to be true in my life. When people have given me the time and attention and the space to talk out my opinion or how I'm feeling about something, I develop trust for those people. You know, I, I, I crave time with them and I crave conversation with them. I want to know their opinion after they listen to me because they have taught me that I can trust them. They have taught me that I matter and I'm valuable and what I have to say is valuable, even if they have a totally different opinion. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important. You know, and Daryl Davis's experience is amazing uh, to be able to completely change. Um, transform members of the KKK just by passively um, teaching them about himself by listening to them and just getting to know them and befriending them. Like, that's amazing. And I think that is, that is um, a great example. So thanks for bringing that up. That's like, that is like my go-to example now for like everything. I love that man. I love what he's done. I think it's amazing. Um, How, so how do you think, I mean, we've talked about making, we've talked about making ourselves listen. We've talked about a few things that we do. Um, but how do you think we can create space as a church? How do you think the church can create space for more stories to be shared? So one thing I think it's hard to get away from the prescribed program of the Adventist church. You know, we, we have decades on decades in most places where we've developed a sort of system where, you know, we have, the introduction praise team, we have the children's story, we have special music, we have the sermon. And we seem to think that this is the only way to do church. And it's created this environment like you brought up in the beginning, where it's a spectator activity, right? So working within that and pushing it in a different direction, um, I've tried to do that within Sabbath school. I was very hesitant to take over not takeover, but to become a a Sabbath school teacher in my church, because I know my opinions are different from 90% of, you know, maybe, maybe everybody at some level um, of the other members, but I've tried within Sabbath school to not just read through the quarterly. I've tried to create it a space for conversation where vulnerability has started with me. You know, I I have to go up there and say, look, I am very bad in this area, or I don't know what I think about this verse, or 
the quarterly says this, I don't know that I buy it. And here's why, mm. you know, and, and starting with me opens it up for other people where they say, okay, he was vulnerable. I can be vulnerable. And I think what's very difficult is we're starting to learn these things. And especially as millennials are younger, we, we're not most of the time in positions of power and influence. And so we really have to find and support people who are already exhibiting these behaviors and learn from them and then go and recreate that experience. You know, in your situation, you're a pastor. So knowing what you know about your members, how can you create a space where you listen to each other? You know, how can you connect on, on some areas? How can you build a relationship that's going to translate into the rest of your experience? Yeah, I, I, um, oh, sorry. Were you going to, were you going to keep going? No, sorry. Okay. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of um, work outside of my churches, just in general ministry, mm -hmm. um, doing stuff, you know, for like the Haystack and other things. And one of the things I do is um, small group leadership training for leaders of all ages, um, develop my own curriculum, the whole nine yards. Like I've, I've done this. And um, one of the things that I always train my leaders to do when they're leading a small group, a Bible study, whatever, whatever the small group is for, um, the, one of the things I always tell them is never ask someone to do something that you are unwilling yes. to do. Um, you know, never ask someone to play a game that you're not going to play or, or that you're unwilling to play or do first. One of the, one of the games that um, I, I make an example of this with um, is a game that we play called blind strike. And the idea is everyone in the group stands in a circle. This is specifically for youth. So adults doing this is absolutely hilarious. Um, everyone stands in a, in a circle. One person's in the middle with a pool noodle and um, they close their eyes and they can only swing when someone from the circle touches them. So they can't just swing wildly, mm -hmm. but the objective is for the people in the circle, the objective is to touch the person in the middle and get back to their place um, without getting hit. If they get hit, they take that person's place. Okay. Um, but there are always kids that are afraid of getting hit with a pool noodle. Always. Every time they're like, oh, it's going to hurt. I don't want to. And so the first thing I do is I find what looks to be the strongest member of right. the group. <laughs> I walk up to them. I hand them the pool noodle to prove my point, And I say... I want you, and it's so funny. A part of this I do just for my own sake, but I look at them and I hand them the pool and I say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Before I tell them what the game is, before anything happens, I tell them, I say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this pool noodle and I want you to hit me in the head as hard as you can with it. Now, they always look at me with this look of like, <laughs> are you crazy? Because everyone thinks this pool noodle is going to... But like, think about it. You've gone swimming before. Like, everyone has used a pool noodle. It's not like this thing is going to kill you. And it's really not. They they eventually give in. And uh, it's even better when they miss the first time. But they hit me and everyone goes, oh. And I'm like, all right, I'm fine. Let's go. Like, it doesn't... And I have to demonstrate to right. them. Because I'm asking them to to take a risk. um, to To step into an unknown space. And so I, right off the bat, I step into that space first. And I assure them that it's okay. Um, So I think there is a lot we can learn from just um, being, being willing to take that first step like you've done with your church members. Um, for me, I do that in all of my preaching. Um, I try to share from my own experiences. I don't make every sermon about me, but you know, I do think that's a great way to create space um, for stories to be told is to, um, is to actually start telling our own. Yeah. 
I think um, and looking for avenues to share. One thing that's really damaged us is just how private people have been. You know, I I didn't grow up hearing other people's experiences very often. I heard their opinions all the time, but their own experience, not very much. You know, and, and I think even with pastors, I find out that pastors are doing these amazing things and not telling anyone, which is great. I think that's important. You know, you shouldn't brag or do things so that people will know. But on the other hand, we get this idea of what other people's lives are like. And unless we really know what they're doing, sometimes we just assume that they're not doing anything and then that's okay for us. Yeah. Nope. I think that's really valid. Um, and I, I think we do need to, um, to listen more and to, and to, to, um, to hear more stories. Um, I, you know, I, it really bugs me when I see, um, men in the church making decisions about women right. in the church, um, without a woman in the room, um, white people making decisions about how they're, how about, um, black people's yes. role in the church. Um, uh, which is, which was a big thing during segregation, but even now we still see hints of it. Um, you know, um, a hundred percent straight people, um, talking about LGBTQ plus without having ever, you know, I, oftentimes I find church leaders who are talking about this and they don't even have a friend who's in that group. Um, or at least they don't realize they have a friend who's in that group. Oh, it's, it's um, worse than that. And they haven't listened to it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. worse than that. It's not just that we don't have friends. It's that we shut down access to information and stories. This yes. is horrible. Yes, I, you exactly. know, I had, um, I've taken the stance with Humans of Adventism that I'm not going to avoid LGBT stories. If somebody has an Adventist belief system and considers themselves Adventist, and is LGBT, their their story will be shared. I, you know, I, I have a certain, like, I guess I don't want people just coming on trying to tear down other people or the church or anything, but I had somebody just mention the fact that they were. And you commented on this. You know, they just mentioned the fact. Oh, yes. And it, it wasn't even about being LGBT at all. They just mentioned it, and people were offended by the fact that they mentioned it. What is offensive? I mean, it's not offensive to hear someone else's experience, even if you don't agree with it. You know, we we need to hear each other. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's very valid. I don't think you can understand someone without listening to them. I just don't. I don't see it. Um, by going off of these preconceived notions, we we build stereotypes and we build judgments on people that, and, and I know I do this in my own life. Like, don't get me wrong. This isn't something that I'm talking about. Like, Oh, I'm great at this. And everyone else is terrible at it. You know, there are, I'm sure there is space in my life where I'm actively doing this and not even realizing yes. it. Um, and I need to do a better job of it straight up. Like, like, I think we all need to take a look at ourselves and, and, and just ask, even if we don't think we're doing it, even if we think, I oh, know there's no need, just, just take a minute and ask yourself, what don't I know more about? Right. <laughs> you know, what do I think I know a lot about? And if I think I know a lot about that thing, maybe I should start asking more questions about it. Um, you, I, you know, I, you see, you see such a strong reaction to anyone's story that opposes someone else's. Any kind of conversation, we're we're really bad about this. Maybe not um, corporately, but in a lot of the churches I've attended, if you bring up something about sexual harassment, if you bring up something about immigration, if you bring up something about racial inequality, 
there's a very strong, I don't want to hear that, stop talking reaction. Yeah. And it's not, here's a logical reason why I disagree with what you're saying right now. No, it's it's this knee-jerk, stop it, like people, there's a fear there. There's a anxiety that we shouldn't talk about that. You know, like we we stop, this is going to make me feel like a bad guy. And the reality is when you choose Christianity, you are choosing a revolutionary kind of love. You are choosing to follow someone who not only did they die for being so loving and for being a good listener and for serving the people around them, the disciples also, a lot of them ended up, you know, ultimately facing horrible circumstances and we're we're afraid that someone's going to think bad of us. You know, we're we're afraid that we might look vulnerable, we might be exposed for you know being prejudiced or or whatever it is. You know, that's that's not powerful and it's not different. Yeah. I agree. Um I 100% agree with you. I it is I watch people actively shut out stories from their lives or, or, or shut out perspectives from their lives and then talk about loving like Jesus did. Yep. And Jesus talked with people who Jesus was Jesus hung out with people so much that he was uh, misunderstood to be um, a part of the groups he hung out with. And I, um, you know, I, I wonder um, if I almost wonder if there should be a certain level of, of, those expect those accusations should be leveled against me, right? Like if I'm not hearing those accusations at all, um, yeah. then maybe there's a problem, but I don't want to just say that because I don't want to, I don't want to make the, I don't want to make the argument that because someone's against me, that means I'm doing the right thing. Right. Uh, that's not, that is not always true. Um, <laughs> that is, that is not always true at all. I, uh, um, I made a statement one time on Facebook that said, I am racist. Right. I am racist, but I really don't want to be. I'm learning how not to be. And that I was acknowledging prejudice that I saw in myself. And I had people angry at me for challenging myself. I wasn't attacking them or or maybe I was, but I wasn't intending to. You know, it, maybe maybe it, this is what was causing this kind of reaction. But. I was challenging myself. I was like, look, I, I know that I look at people differently and value them differently. And I hate that. And I want to learn how to not be that way, you know, and, and yeah. it's so difficult for me to understand why that is offensive and why that is, you know, for me, that is the natural order of Christianity and serving a God who is selfless. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think we should, I, you know, I think, you know, and I think maybe this is a, a good place for me to, 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 as we kind of wrap this up, I think not only do we need to create space to listen to stories, I think we need to create space to let people live their stories. Um, you know, in the same way that you were questioning yourself or that you were at, you know, you were struggling with something yourself and people got mad at you for it. Um, I think we're so quick to jump on each other. 
um, that not only are we not li- willing to listen to stories, we're not letting, we're not willing to let people have a story. We're not letting, we're not willing to let people live their journey and actually have their story get written. Um, because I am a product of years worth of of thinking, of of interactions, of experiences, of perspective shifts, of paradigm shifts, of of all these different things that have happened to me. I'm a product of that, and I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for people who looked at me and said, hey, I'm going to embrace you for who you are and let you live your story. There's a ton of times where I've worked with youth and and young adults and especially with youth. This is this is especially true with youth. Um, they'll come to me and they'll say that they're going to do something that's wrong, like something that's harmful. And I'll tell them, uh, harmful to themselves or to someone else, I'll say, look, don't do this. I know because I know this is bad because I I did the same thing when I was your age and it doesn't work out. Like, please don't do this. And I realized very quickly that they're going to, people will most likely choose their story over me. Sure. Um, and they're going to choose where their journey is over me. And so instead, what I learned to, to do was to say, Hey, look, um, you've come to me and you've shared this with me. You've shared your intent with me. So I'm going to share with you if it's okay, my perspective I do. And then I say, and listen, if you choose to not listen to me, if you choose to ignore my perspective or any wisdom I've given you, then just know that at the other side of this, I'm here to talk about it, whether it works out or not. Yes. And you can come back um, and, and create that space for someone to live their journey. Yes, I've done my duty in letting them know like this is not an okay thing to do. But at the same time, um, I think of all the times that I chose my story over someone else and or someone else's opinion and I, and I got burned for it and then I had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And so. I want to make room for people to make mistakes, to live their story, to live their journey. And yeah, I look back at my past and there's a ton of cringeworthy stuff I've done, but I'm thankful for the people in my life who've allowed me to live my story. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have any, you know, kind of a response to that or anything? I, I think that's great. You know, I think, I think if people can trust that their church and the people in it and the people around them um, will be there for them when they fail, you know, I, I think maybe we wouldn't be so quick to leave. Mm. You know, I think if we were actually talking about this and living and coexisting with each other in a way that was meaningful, um, it might be something that we couldn't find anywhere else. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, man, I've really, I've really appreciated you uh, coming on the show um, I think this is a val- really valuable conversation. Um, before we kind of close out here, do you have any final thoughts, anything that you want to leave listeners with? I just, overall, um, you know, you've said this, Garrison said this. I really just want to drive home the attitude of becoming a learner, you know, of of wanting self-education, of wanting to listen to other people's experience. And even if you come away with the same conclusion, I really think this is the key. This is the key across the board to solving this tense, harsh environment and getting over and healing a lot of the issues that we've created for ourselves in our society Um, and in our church. I, I, I have a lot of hope for the Adventist church and I'm, I came back to the Adventist church because I see so much potential in it and I love it. But I think that that we have a long way to go. And I think this is, this is the key to all of it. I really do. 
So those are my I five agree. thoughts. I, um, thank you for that. I, I agree. Actually, I, you know, after, you know, um, it's, it's funny. I forget what the actual like phenomena is called. Um, but it's, it's when you, it's when you hear a word or, you know, learn something new and then all of a sudden you start seeing that everywhere, mm-hmm. you start seeing it pop up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've learned, I've realized that after that conversation with Garrison and when he, when he told me that to become a learner, like that is, that has popped up almost everywhere now. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost become my motto for life. Just, just out of that conversation, because I'm seeing it everywhere since we talked. Um, and that was several months ago. Yeah. Um, just, just this idea of becoming a student, becoming a learner and, and keeping that attitude. Um, it really like I, so I find it interesting. That it's come up again. And I think it's very true in the area of stories to put yourself as the learner yeah. um, instead of as the teacher. I think that's so valid. So thank you for sharing that. Um, how can people, how can people connect with you and how can people connect with humans of Adventism? What are all the different avenues and links for them to hit up? Sure. So as of right now, we're only on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash humans of Adventism or on Instagram at humans of Adventism. And the most helpful thing that you can do right now, interact with our stories. I mean, if you have an opinion, if you find something that really you connect with, uh, share it, you know, get it, get it in front of more people. It really, I've already seen the effects of it. I've had people who want to come back to church, to our church because of this. It's, it's a powerful ministry. And I, I don't take the credit for that. You know, it's, it's everyone who's willing to talk and it's, you know, I, I hope, God is the driving force behind it, you know. So that's that's where you find us, and that's how to help. Awesome. And um, how can people connect with you? Uh, sure, I'm I'm a very public person. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter, Caleb Isley. That's K A L E B E I S E L E, and I am totally open to conversation anytime. Awesome. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for being a listener as well and supporting um, Absurdity. I really appreciate you, man. I've appreciated the time I've gotten to know you and and what you're doing. Um, So keep up the awesome work, man. And I look forward to having you on again uh, on the show again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Absurdity. If you would, please go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast and consider donating to uh, help me make this whole operation run smoothly and, and keep the lights on in here. Uh, also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or any podcatcher app that you might use. And if you do listen on iTunes, please leave a review. Reviews help me. Uh, currently, because of an issue we had uh, with duplication on the iTunes store, I lost all my reviews. So um, any and all reviews will help. Um, so please consider giving us a review, leaving us a review there. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on Absurdity. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.